Welcome, everybody, to our ESPN call. Today we're here with Monday Night Football analyst John Gruden, who will discuss the 2017 NFL draft and specifically the quarterbacks who participated in the eighth season of his Gruden's QB camp. Uh, seven quarterbacks who spent time with John this spring and QB camp episodes are currently airing across the ESPN networks, including the one-hour Best of QB Camp show that airs Saturday at 4 o'clock Eastern on ABC. John will be part of ESPN's Round 1 telecast of the 2017 NFL Draft next Thursday, April 27th, live from Philadelphia with hosts Trey Wingo, Mel Kuyper Jr., and Lewis Riddick on our main set. I'll give John the chance to offer some opening remarks about this year's draft and QB camp, and then we'll open it up, uh, open up the call to media questions after that. Uh, just a reminder, there will be a full audio replay of this call later today on ESPNMediaZone.com. Uh, go ahead, John. Do you want to talk about either the quarterbacks that have come through or, you know, just your general thoughts going into the draft. Uh, good morning. Thanks, Bill. I'm just very excited to get to Philadelphia. There's not many better sports towns than that. To have a draft there is exciting to me. Get a Geno sub and some chicky and Pete's fries and uh, NFL football draft. That sounds like a great weekend. But I had a, had a lot of fun with these young quarterbacks. Um, five of them were underclassmen, two of them uh, graduates. Interesting group, I think, a very underestimated group of quarterbacks, and I think uh, we're going to see four of them go in the first round personally. But I'll be happy to answer any questions that I can. Thanks for joining us on the call today. Thanks, John. Uh, we'll start with the calls. We'll go with uh, Dan Wider at the Chicago Tribune, followed by Gary Klein at the L.A. Times. Go ahead, Dan. Danny on the line. Operators. Hello. Oh, go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. Hey, go ahead. We got you. Gotcha. Hey, John, in your visit with Deshaun Watson, you dug down into the multitude of reasons that his interception total was what it was at Clemson. A, what struck you about that research? And B, how is a coach and as an evaluator do you sort of reconcile that to a point where it's not a major worry for you anymore? Well, interceptions are a big concern. Turnovers, interceptions, a primary concern. So we spent a lot of time looking at that. A lot of the interceptions uh, you can find that he can take he can take full responsibility for. He may have forced it. He may have misread the coverage. Perhaps he missed the throw. And there's a number of those interceptions that aren't his fault at all. We tried to point out some of those tip passes, uh, wide receivers not on the same page, not reading the coverage properly. But there's a lot of reasons, and I just challenged him to slow it down, isolate the, the 32 interceptions, and, and put them all in a category and see which of them you can eliminate. I don't think he was a, a guilty of, of over um, – you know, throwing passes or throwing the ball poorly or making bad decisions too many times. But I do think there are some correctable uh, things that he needs to take out of his game. And, and I think this is this is a time of year that you do that. But uh, certainly he's played a lot more games than all the other quarterbacks. Back-to-back seasons, I think they played 15 games. Uh, they use an up-tempo style, so they're, they're, they're having a lot of snaps. But I do think some of them are correctable, and he'll fix those. Okay, we'll go to Gary Klein at the LA Times, followed by Grace Rayner at the Post and Courier in South Carolina. Go ahead, Gary. Hi, John. Uh, the Rams uh, obviously don't have a first-round pick, and they're not in the market for a quarterback, so I'm going to ask you to look back a little bit before you look forward. Um, a year later, what do you think of uh, the decision of, of Jared Goff and the decision to take him with the number one pick? And in terms of rookies, what are your recollections um, of working with Sean McVay as a young head coach, and why should Rams fans believe that he can be successful as a 31-year-old head coach, especially working with Goff? Well, you know, Goff, um, he came out early, a true junior. I don't think he's 100% what he's going to be physically. I, I still think he's going to get stronger. I think he's going to mature physically. I do think that he went into a difficult situation. Uh, that's an offensive line that struggled. Uh, that is a receiving core that has struggled. And his inexperience, I think that's a, a difficult combination for 
a young quarterback. And I think that's a big reason why they were 0-7 when he was the starter. But Sean McVay will come in, I think, and give them a lot of energy, a lot of optimism. I think he'll give them some expertise. Uh, he's been good with young quarterbacks. Uh, he's been good with young receivers and young players. And I, I just think he's um, going to bring a real positive upbeat presence to the offensive side of the ball. Unfortunately for him, he's hired one of the best defensive minds in all of football over the last 25 or 30 years. So I think they've got a unique battery there, a young, energetic offensive coach who's proven he can get the job done and um, a very, very good, experienced defense coach on the other side. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to Grace at the Post and Courier, followed by Doug Farr at the Ble- at Bleacher Report. Go ahead, Grace. Hey, John, what impressed you the most about Deshaun Watson, and, and why do you think that there's so many varying opinions on where he might land? Uh, his body of work impressed me the most. He was in back-to-back national championship games. He beat the best teams in college football. Um, I love the poise that he plays with. He plays his best football when they're behind and all the chips are on the table. He did it in the national championship game. He's got thick skin. He's mentally tough. I saw him overcome three interceptions to come back and beat Louisville. I saw him come back on the road to beat Florida State in a two-minute drill. Um, I just like his poise. I like his uh, mental toughness, and I like his overall game. He's athletic. He's a dual threat, and uh, he's got the intangibles everyone craves. Okay, we'll go to Doug at Bleacher Report, followed by Brian Costello at the New York Post. Thanks, John. If uh, Hypothetical, if you were to come back to coaching this year and you were the head coach of a quarterback needy team, and you needed one of the guys you sat down with to start in his first year with all the attendant bumps in the road, which guy would you pick? That's a tough question. You know, I do think uh, several of these underclassmen are a year away, personally. Uh, I like the kid at Pitt. Honestly, if you said I had to go out there and strap it on today as a head coach, I'd go out there with Mason Peterman out of Pitt. He'd allow us to do just about anything in the game plan. I think he throws the ball pretty darn good. He's athletic and um, very, very sharp. So I, I think he's a lot like Andy Dalton to me. He reminds me of Dalton so much coming out of TCU. I would probably go with Peterman if I had to play him in a few months. Thanks. Okay, we'll go to Brian at the New York Post, followed by Jerry McDonald at the San Jose Mercury News. John, there seems to be a thought that the 2018 quarterback class is going to be a strong one, stronger than this one. If you're a quarterback needy team in this draft, how much of a factor is that in your decision-making leading up to this draft in terms of taking a quarterback or saying maybe we should wait until next year? Thanks. I'm sure uh, I'm sure some of the general managers and, and perhaps owners are thinking that way, but if you're a coach, you know, you have to look at, at who's available now. Uh, there's no guarantee you're going to be able to get one of those names you're talking about next year. There's no guarantee some of those names will be as good as you think they are. And there's no guarantee that they're coming out either. So uh, the best way to address the quarterback situation is to get one of these arms in your stable immediately and start the developmental process. That's my opinion. Okay, we'll go to Jerry, followed by Eric Hansen at the South Bend Tribune. Hey, John, as someone who uh, went from being an offensive coordinator to, to a head coach, um, could you kind of address what, what Kyle Shanahan is looking at? I mean, for the first time, looking over a whole team instead of just one unit, the whole personnel aspect of it, and, you know, the possibility of maybe having to look for defensive guys when you've been an offensive coach. That's a big challenge. Obviously, you have to, number one, hire a staff. And unfortunately, all the people that you want to hire aren't available. You can't get them because they're under contract. So the first thing you have to do is hire a quality coaching staff, and then you have to teach your system of offense because that's why you got the job. So he's got to spend a lot of time making sure that his new coaches know exactly what he's looking for and looking to do terminology-wise on offense and then obviously hire the right defensive coach that you can delegate 
some authority to, so he can do the same thing on that side of the ball. Uh, and then you have to budget your time extremely well with offense, defense, your special teams, and your personnel people. And I know uh, he's very fortunate, at least that's what he said, to have uh, had the opportunity to work with John Lynch uh, in the front office. So I'm sure they're spending a, a lot of time together trying to find the criteria that they're, they're looking for on both sides of the ball. So uh, get some caffeine in you. Make sure you get up early, stay late. I remember when I took over as the head coach of the Raiders and then Tampa Bay, the first 100 to 200 days are a grind, and I'm sure Kyle's feeling it right now. Okay. Okay, we'll go to uh, Eric in South Bend, followed by Joe Person at the Charlotte Observer. Hi, John. Thanks for doing this. I wonder if you could share your impressions of Deshaun Kaiser's attitude and demeanor as as well as a skill set, and would you use a first-round pick on him? Well, good morning. I um, I liked him when I met with, with him. Uh, he's obviously very sharp, well-spoken, um, charismatic in a lot of ways. I also know he's emotional. Uh, he's not real proud, I, I don't think, of their 4-8 and eight record. Um, but I did like him. I thought he had a, a genuine, sincere, honest nature about him. Uh, I, I did like his obvious size and strength of his arm is impressive. Uh, would I use a first-round pick on him? Probably not. I, I don't think the body of work uh, is complete. I think there are some things that he's got to resolve in terms of end-of-game situations, winning. Um, there's some things I think that he's still a little rough around the edges, but from a talent standpoint, he's he's got a lot of ability. He's, he's athletic, he's tough, and he's got a cannon for an arm, but I do think that uh, I would probably have a hard time taking him in the first round this year. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to Joe and Charlotte and then Ben Volan at the Boston Globe. Hey, John, not a quarterback question, but an offensive backfield question. There seems to be a big debate here in Charlotte, maybe elsewhere, in terms of Leonard Fournette versus Christian McCaffrey. Wondering what you think about those two guys, and particularly uh, who might fit best in Carolina's offensive system. Wow, that's a great question. They're completely different backs, as you know. I think it depends on what your vision is offensively, what you want to do. I know Jonathan Stewart is 30 years old now. Uh, Fozzie Whitaker is there. They've got some pretty good backup young backs, but if you want a feature back, if you want an I-formation tailback, Fournette is your guy. I just think he's built for the long haul. He's a punishing runner. I do like him a lot. McCaffrey is uh, he's a jack-of-all-trades I think you you got to be able to use him creatively in your passing game. That's where, to me, he is the best. Uh, in the return games, obviously, but as a receiver, as a joker, as a guy that can line up in any formation and be a threat at any time, uh, if that's your offense, I think McCaffrey is for you. If you're looking to be a little bit more conventional, uh, take the burden off your quarterback and pound the ball, Fournette is your guy, and I think it all depends on which direction Ron Rivera, Mike, and Koshua want to go. Okay, next is Ben in Boston, followed by Ray Fittipaldo at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Hey, John, thanks for doing this today. Um, oh, you're welcome. Good morning. Uh, tradi- traditionally in the draft, um, offensive linemen get taken up high because they're easier to project and you can kind of see how a guy's going to do in college and realistically project him to the pros. But in the last several years, there have been uh, a handful or more of top offensive linemen that just haven't worked out for whatever reason. Um, curious – sorry, my pooch is barking in the background there. Um, is, is, is offensive line, is that a tougher position to project nowadays? Well, I think it is. Uh, when you watch college football, a lot of these linemen don't even get in a stance anymore. They, they're all – in. Upright two-point stances. Um, um, the, the range of the range of their has to execute is limited. Everybody pretty much is running a zone scheme. Um, pass protection. 
a lot of it now is these RPOs, run-pass options, where it's not even a pass protection. So I think the communication with the no-huddle offenses has reduced their stances. they got a long way to go. Uh, and the range of blocks that they have to execute is limited. So you're, you're really getting a lot of raw, unproven prospects and coaching at the NFL level, offensive line coaching is paramount, if you ask me. And I think if you look at the New England Patriots, the return of Dante Scarnecchia, the great offensive line coaches have a real, real say in who's good and who isn't, in my opinion. Okay, we'll go to Ray in Pittsburgh, followed by Paul Domowich at the Philadelphia Daily News. Go ahead, Ray. Hey, Joe, my question is about risk reward in the draft. Uh, the Steelers took a little bit of a gamble on Martavis Bryant in the fourth round back in 2014. He's good when he's available, but he just hasn't been available. So my question is, you know, they took Sammy Coates as insurance against, against Bryant, and now it seems like they're in the market for another receiver. Is it worth the gamble to, to take a guy like Bryant in the middle rounds? And did you ever have a situation like that when you were coaching where, you were sort of chasing a position because of a gamble. Yeah, sometimes you uh, you get into the fourth, fifth, sixth round. That's that's the time to take some risks. Uh, and when healthy, when not uh, dealing with off the field problems, I should say, Martavis was special. I mean, he was a game changing vertical receiver. And um, you know, I. I personally uh, like the idea of taking on some risk uh, in the draft uh, and, and counting on my locker room, our coaching staff, our support staff to help some of these young men turn it around. And I don't think that Pittsburgh has given up on either one of those young receivers from what I understand, but uh, I was all for taking some occasional risks uh, in the draft. Uh, nobody uh, is incapable of changing, and I, I really believe that. And sometimes if you have the right locker room, the right support staff, you can help some of these young guys turn it around. Okay, next is Paul in Philadelphia, followed by Scott Petrak at the Chronicle-Telegram in Ohio. Go ahead, Paul. Hey, John. The uh, Walt Whitman Bridge toll takers said to be sure to stop <laughs> by and say hello when you're in town next week. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Paul. Hey, I wanted to ask you about Carson Wentz. You were obviously high on him last year heading into the draft. I'd be curious your impressions on his first season, and also what's the biggest benefit he is going to get from having 16 starts under his belt heading into year two? Yeah, you know, the biggest benefit is that he's got the same play caller. He's got, I think, a better receiving core and the the reps will add up. This won't be his first rodeo. So he's going to be able to, I think, uh, go into the second year as a starter, uh, calling the same plays, uh, handling situations and audibles better than he did the first time around just because of experience. That's a great, great thing that not a lot of quarterbacks have anymore, the same system, same play caller for two seasons. But I did like him a lot for the same reasons I said uh, I would choose Nathan Peterman if I had to play a game in three, four months. The kid was well-trained in North Dakota State. I was just up there for a a clinic a couple weeks ago, and I had a chance to watch North Dakota State at close range. They train quarterbacks differently there. They train football players differently. They're in a huddle. They use a lot of motion and shifts and a volume of plays, and they put a lot on the quarterback at the line of scrimmage. And I think that helped him dramatically handle the uh, variety and all the different things that are in the Eagles' playbook. And he's also got a great personality. Look, he can relate to people. And that's another skill I think that is very underestimated, your communication skills, and he's got that. Thanks, John. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll go to Scott, followed by uh, Nate Davis at USA Today. Hey, John. I was wondering how much you worried about Mitch Trubisky only having 13 starts in college, and can that be overcoming the NFL? And also, you know, his personality. Do you think he can handle the pressure if he got picked by the Browns, his hometown team? You know, a lot goes into that. Well, in regards to the pressure, I, I don't – 
I don't think anybody can answer that but him because it's it's going to certainly um, it would it would I should say certainly be a, a lot to deal with playing for your hometown team. Do the thirteen starts concern me? Yes, they do. I uh, don't remember many quarterbacks coming out uh, with just thirteen career starts. Um, they didn't finish strong either. They lost uh, in the bowl game to Stanford. Uh, the Virginia Tech game was not good. They lost to Duke in a big game. They didn't finish the season real strong either. And I thought they had a pretty good supporting cast around him. I think you're going to see Bug Howard, Switzer. You're going to see Logan. You're going to see some of those men get drafted. I would have liked to see him stay. Um, but he is talented. Uh, he did get results. He did have some really good moments in Tallahassee against FSU, bringing him back to beat Pitt. Um, he is a dual threat. A lot of people don't realize how athletic Trubisky is, but he's still a big mystery to a lot of people in this draft. It's going to be very interesting to see how high he goes. Should he even be in place for the Browns at 1 or 12? Well, you know, Cleveland has uh, got to address the quarterback position. Uh, it, it all depends on what they think of Trubisky, Mahomes, um, whoever else, Deshaun Watson, they may be considering at the top of the first round. I mean, there are some teams to me, San Francisco, the Jets, uh, Cleveland Browns, and there are some teams like Arizona, San Diego, and the Giants that are looking for future quarterbacks. It all depends on how they value the quarterback at the number one or number 12 slot. Okay, we'll go to Nate Davis at USA Today, followed by Mark Maskey at the Washington Post. Hey, Coach. Uh, when you were uh, in the league, you kind of had a reputation for, for preferring to work with, with veteran quarterbacks. Has your perspective on that changed at all, if it's true, having having uh, worked with so many of these kids over the years, particularly this year's group? Uh, and then you said, I think you said you would, you would consider four of these guys first-rounders. Just curious which four of those would be. Well, I, I never really uh, – I don't think we ever drafted a quarterback in the first round in the 11 years I was a head coach. Normally, uh, if you're going to work with a young quarterback, you like to get one of these first-rounders. We never took one. I think we took Marcus Tuiasasopo in the second round, and they traded me a few months later. So, uh answer your question, I, 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 I'll work with any quarterback. I don't care if they're uh, 13-year veterans or one-year starters in college. Uh, but the four quarterbacks that I like in the first round, potentially, I do do like uh, Deshaun Watson going in the first round. I think he's going to be gone. I think Mahomes will go in the first round. I think Mitch Trubisky will go in the first round. That's three. And the question is, who is the fourth? Uh, I just think there'll be a sleeper somewhere along the road. I have no idea who it'll be. It could be Kaiser. Uh, it could be, um, who knows, it could be Peterman. But I do think you'll see three, potentially four, go in the first round. Next is Mark in Washington, followed by Sam Farmer at the LA Times. Hey, John, I also wanted to follow up on you saying three or four in the first round. Do you think that's because that there are three or four legitimate first-round quarterbacks in this draft, or do you think this is sort of the need of the teams uh, pushing guys up who, who maybe don't deserve to be first-round guys? Well, I think these guys are very talented. I, I think, like I said earlier on the call, some of them might be a year away. But you have to start the developmental process uh, quickly if you need one. And, and when you look at some of these teams, um, New Orleans Saints, for instance, who's the heir apparent to Drew Brees? Who's the heir apparent to Carson Palmer, Eli Manning? I think you have to look at it from that regard. Wouldn't it be wonderful to get one of these guys that we really like physically and put them in our program where they can watch a great player play for a year and then potentially take the keys and run with it. Uh, a year from now, Trubisky would definitely be a high one. A year from now, I'd have Mahomes a high one. Uh, the same probably with Kaiser and Deshaun Watson had they stayed in college. So, uh, look, I think you have to have the foresight, the confidence, and uh, certainly the coach in place to, to help get this done. But these are some talented young arms entering the draft this year, and I really like Josh Dobbs at Tennessee as well. Okay, we'll go to Sam, followed by Michael Phillips at the Richmond Times Dispatch. Uh, hi, John. Uh, how, how seductive is speed? Uh, you look at John Ross 
and what he did and, and a guy like Adoree Jackson. How do you sort of factor that in when you're evaluating these players' uh, speed, you know, in shorts versus football speed? And, and does your philosophy on that differ at all from Al's philosophy, what his philosophy was? Well, my my uh, training uh, at Oakland, speed is the one thing you can't coach. And uh, there, there are people that think you can, uh, maybe to a degree improve speed. But when you're talking about 4.25 speed, hard to coach that. So uh, we always felt that that's the one quality we had to have on our team in Oakland. And I, I, I agree with that to a degree. We have to have speed. Uh, it strikes fear in the defense. And, um, you know, I still think it's a valuable commodity on the teams that I talk to. Everybody goes to the combine with their stopwatch for a reason. Okay, we'll go to Michael in Richmond, followed by Mike Triplett in New Orleans. Thanks. I wanted to ask you specifically about the uh, Redskins and, uh, I guess, given Kirk Cousins' contract situation, if you think it would be wise for them to take a quarterback if there's one you like uh, that fits in that system, and uh, I guess if you have time, if you don't mind, uh, I know you worked with Kirk and some of those guys a little while ago, uh, if you don't mind sharing kind of your, your takeaways from that session. Well, I like uh, I like the Redskins quarterback situation personally. I think Kirk Cousins' uh, contract situation, I'm pretty tired of hearing about it, honestly. He's got a pretty good contract, and I assume they'll work that out, but who knows? Uh, I like Colt McCoy. I've always liked Colt McCoy. I liked him at Texas. I like what he got done in his early years in Cleveland. And when he's been asked to play, I think he's pretty good. Uh, spent a little time, uh, as you said, with some of the Redskins down here in Tampa. Really, it was Kirk Cousins running the show, uh, getting acclimated to Terrell Pryor, getting Josh Dotson running around again, and, uh, Jamison Crowder and Jordan Reed. So it was a, it was a lot of fun. Nate Sudfeld was here, another quarterback who I think in year two uh, will be much more competitive in the preseason because he'll be able to call these plays and have a better chance of executing them. But uh, I like the Redskins. I think they've got uh, three young quarterbacks that are all pretty darn good. And Kirk Cousins, assuming the contract uh, gets worked out, that'd be exciting. But if it doesn't, uh, I'm sure they'll have to address the situation based on uh, the need, but uh, I like their position. I really was intrigued with Terrell Pryor, probably one of the most interesting athletes I've ever seen in my lifetime. Uh, I, I can't, I can't tell you how impressed I was with how he moved around, how sharp he was, and how much he loved it. Uh, he's a freak now. I, I really have not seen many athletes come through my doors like Terrell Pryor. Maybe he'll play quarterback. Who knows? <laughs> okay, we'll go to Mike in New Orleans, followed by Dave Burkett at the Detroit Free Press. Hi, John. You mentioned the heir apparent concept. I'm curious, how do you view that dilemma? You know, a team like the Saints, they could draft a quarterback in the first round, but, you know, then they're wasting an opportunity to have someone who can help them win while Drew Brees is the quarterback. How do you balance that? And the second part of the question is, if they do use one of their five picks in the first three rounds on a quarterback this year, who do you think is the best value, someone at the end of round one or, or someone in two or three? I think that's a, that's, that's a tough question. You know, Sean Payton's going to have to have one of these quarterbacks blow his doors off, somebody that really um, meets his imaginations and expectations of the position. They, they did this a couple of years ago with Garrett Grayson in the third round. I believe Grayson is on the practice squad. You know, the later you take one, uh, the less chance you, you hit on one. Uh, if Mahomes or Dobbs or Peterman or Kaya or whoever uh, has blown Coach Payton's doors off and, and he sees the qualities and the criteria that he's looking for, I wouldn't be shocked at all if New Orleans takes one of these kids in the first round. But we all know Payton has a real uh, vision for the position. And um, it's going to take a real stud to come in there and take the keys away from Drew Brees. You're exactly right. So I, I think it really depends on if any of these guys really impress the head man enough. Okay, next is Dave in Detroit, followed by Ryan O'Halloran at the Florida Times Union. 
Hey, John, thanks uh, Thanks for this call, as always. Um, got a receiver question for you. I was curious to the top three receivers, I guess, uh, Williams, Corey Davis, and, and Ross. Um, if one of those players happened to make it to the Lions pick at 21, I was just curious if you if you think they are a, an elite enough talent that it might uh, benefit the Lions to take them instead of you know filling some other more more pressing needs and, and maybe which one of those guys is most likely to make it to 21 in your mind? Yeah, I I really like Corey Davis out of Western Michigan. I I can only imagine him playing in that dome with Matt Stafford for the next several years. I, I love Corey Davis. I can't imagine him being there. I just cannot. And if he is there, um, I would I would assume Matt Stafford would would make a few phone calls to try to get that transaction done. I think Mike Williams is interesting from Clemson. He's a fifty fifty jump ball receiver a lot of the time, and he comes down with some magnificent catches. I think uh, the injury a couple years ago, I didn't see him play, but he responded this year in a big way. I think he improved after the catch. I think his range as a route runner has improved. Uh, but I don't see either one of those two guys being there at 21 personally. And John Ross, there's just people that question the durability. He missed 2015 with the knee injury, but on the tape I see from this year, He's a he's a tremendous reverse runner. He can blow the top off of the coverages and let Golden Tate work underneath. I'd be thrilled with all three of those at 21, but I, I really can't see Davis or Williams being there. And I'm sure if John Ross John Ross is there, he'll he'll give a healthy uh, consideration. But I, I wouldn't probably go there if I was Detroit because they just signed Marvin Jones from Cincinnati, who was similar a year ago. Okay, we'll go to Ryan in Jacksonville, followed by Matthew Foley at OZ Media. Go ahead, Ryan. Hey, John. Uh, Follow-up on Peterman, since he's a local kid. Uh, what were your takeaways from your day with him doing the show? And then second part is, uh, you're familiar with Nate Hackett. Can he salvage Blake Bortles? I like Peterman. I've known Peterman a long time, uh, from his days in Knoxville, where he played at Tennessee and before he transferred to Pitt. You walk away from Peterman and you feel like you, like I said earlier, you were with Andy Dalton. His passing mechanics, um, his uh, whole demeanor, he is buttoned up all the way. He is sharp. Uh, he is in the channel, I think, of success. I think he's going to be a, a real good pro quarterback. I, I just have a real confidence in that. He's, he can memorize. He can he can execute any play you dream up, and he loves it. And I just, I, I really like him. I'm smitten with him a little bit as a player. And I think Nate Hackett has his hands full. You know, Bortles has, has got a lot of pressure on him. I think he's 11 and 34 as a starter. Uh, he's got to play better. That's the bottom line. And to do that, uh, obviously they've got to have a better uh, balance in their, their offense. They've got to protect better. I don't know of anybody that's been hit or taken more sacks than Blake Bortles in the last three years. So I'm sure it starts with protection, it starts with getting some balance, running the football, and uh, fixing some of his mechanics, which clearly were flawed later in the year. Okay, next is Matthew Foley, followed by Seth Walder at the New York Daily News. Hi, John. Um, there's been some t- there's been some talk this off season about the offensive line free agents maybe being overpaid as the draft class this year might be viewed a little weak. Um, are, do you see any other positions that in, in this draft that might be top-heavy and also lacking uh, on both sides? So some drafts that are top-heavy and some other positions that are maybe skimpy at Robert, the time. I don't know that there's a lot of surefire hits that people feel like in the offensive line, whether it be guard, tackle, or center. I just don't know that there's a bona fide top ten pick there. And it's a lean year in a lot of ways on the offensive line at all three positions, center, guard, and tackle. And uh, even the top flight left tackles, there are people who don't think that they're going to play there. They're going to be kicked inside or perhaps move over to the right side. And there's some one-hit wonders. The kid at Wisconsin, the kid at Utah. There's a, there's some guys that, much like Mitch Trubisky, haven't started and played a lot of football. So 
That's one of the reasons why the price goes up in free agency. Where are we going to get a tackle? Where are we going to get a starting guard if we don't buy one? And uh, the price, as you well stated, uh, was significantly higher than I remember it. Thank you. Okay, we're going to Seth at the Daily News, followed by Cam Inman at the Mercury News uh, in the Bay Area. Go ahead, Seth. Seth, you on the line? The line is open. Seth, are you there? No. Okay. All right. We'll uh, we'll move on to Cam Inman, followed by Steve Serby at the New York Post. Go ahead, uh, Cam. Uh, I, I got on a call when you were talking about Kyle Shanahan and, and needing to cast enough and being in the grind. Did you talk about just which of these quarterbacks might best fit his system and be able to, to understand it uh, so well and comprehend it? No, I did not talk about that. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, uh, a lot of these guys are in no-huddle offenses. They operate at the line of scrimmage. They don't even have a snap count a lot of them in college football anymore. Uh, if anyone realized what goes into the pre-snap or the snap count, uh, it is mind-boggling. And I know that's a big part of Kyle Shanahan's offense, getting a pre-snap read, getting ourselves in the best possible play. Uh, you're going to have to project. He's going to have to project. And I know he's spent a lot of time studying this year's class of quarterbacks, Um be interesting to see what they do with the number two overall pick. But Brian Hoyer will be a good stopgap quarterback, I think, until they get a young guy ready. Hoyer is excellent, I think, in a meeting room with a young potential arm. Uh, but I think Mitch Trubisky fits their system. Uh, I think Brad Kaya in the second or third round would fit their system. He's tough. He's a pocket passer. He can handle a lot of football. Um, and a year from now, Kaiser, Mahomes, I'm sure there's there's some guys that really interest Kyle, but perhaps not right away. They just need a little time. Hey, John, follow up on on just one other 49er note. Uh, you know, they've they've parted with Kaepernick after six years. Where do you think he might end up? And just knowing the landscape of the NFL and quarterback. Don't know. You know, Robert Griffin and, and Colin Kaepernick. Uh, they lit the league on fire a couple years ago with the kind of quarterback play that had never really been seen before, the running quarterback, option football. And um, they really haven't progressed as passing quarterbacks, and they've taken too many hits and too many sacks. And um, for that reason, they haven't found a team yet. I think um, it'll be very interesting, but I have no idea uh, where those two fit. And... Um, be fun to watch because they both still have a lot of talent, but their style of play is, is a lot different than what people are looking for, obviously. Okay, we'll go to Steve Serby at the New York Post, followed by Jim Wyatt at the Titans.com. Uh, go ahead, uh, Steve. Yeah, thanks. Uh, hi, John. Uh, just wondering what your evaluations are of uh, Mahomes and Davis Webb. Well, Mahomes... Uh, I tried to say this. Uh, we had a, a show that we did earlier. To me, he's the most intriguing player in this draft. His arm talent is special. He, he can really rifle the ball, not only with velocity and accuracy, but he can do it from awkward positions. I mean, he can throw the ball side-armed, off-balance, under duress. He can really rip it. I just think he's got a big-time arm. He's athletic. He's got a huge upside. It's going to take a little time making the transition. He's a true junior. Uh, you can't forget that. And Davis Webb is interesting. He is a transfer from Texas Tech to Cal. Played in a no-huddle offense, similar to the one, obviously, that Jared Goff played in. Um, he displays some touch and accuracy and arm talent. He's not a mobile quarterback. He's not the athlete that Mahomes is. Uh, but... He is accurate. I think he had a very good week of practice at the Senior Bowl, not only on the field, but I think he proved to people that he can adapt quickly and learn. And I think he's going to be in the conversation with a lot of these teams in the first two days, three days, excuse me, two, three rounds of this draft. 
Next is Jim Wyatt, followed by Adam Jams at the Chicago Sun-Times. John, I want to ask you about a pair of Tennessee quarterbacks. First, Marcus Mariota, what you've seen from him in his first two years and what's next for him. And then also you can talk about Josh Dobbs and what could be uh, how you think he'll do at the NFL, in the NFL. I like Marcus, obviously, coming out of Oregon. He was uh, – he was he was very very interesting to me. He threw the ball with accuracy and touch, athletic, great kid, sharp. Had all the things I was looking for. The only thing he hasn't been able to do, in my opinion, is stay healthy, and uh, that's a challenge that he's got to he's got to meet. And uh, I hope he does that. Uh, as they continue to improve that roster, I, I suspect he will continue to improve. And I think he can be a great front-line Pro Bowl quarterback in the league. I, I don't I don't have any doubts about that. If you can stay healthy and they can add a few pieces to their receiving core. Um, he just got all the intangibles and all the qualities that I'm looking for personally. But with Dobbs, uh, I would love to get my hands on him. He, to me, is a, a great sleeper in this draft. Uh, he played in an offense where there wasn't a lot of pure dropbacks um, he was a running quarterback. He has over 400 attempts rushing. I mean, he ran for over 2,000 yards in the SEC. But if you watch the second half of the Florida game, if you watch the Nebraska game and the bowl game, you see passing ability. I think he, much like Davis Webb, stood out at the senior bowl uh, as a guy that could make a quick transition. This kid is smart. He loves it. He'll be a quick study. And uh, his athleticism is going to be hard to keep off the field. This guy's got the heart of a champion. I really like Dobbs a lot. Hopefully somebody uh, with a real creative mind gets him. Okay. We're uh, about 45 minutes in. We're going to try to go 10 more minutes. We've got a number of callers, uh, but we do have a hard out at uh, five minutes till. Uh, We'll go to Adam Jans in Chicago followed by Jim Kleinpetter at the New Orleans Times Picayune after that. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, John. Uh, you mentioned that some of these underclassmen quarterbacks will require some time. Uh, in general, what difficulties do these guys face when they're transitioning to these NFL systems, and where would you start the process of this transition if you were with them? Well, that's what we do at our QB camp. We, we start with the snap count. Uh, as you know, a lot of these offenses in college, they don't they clap their hands or they point to the ground. There's a silent count. They don't use a snap count. So just teaching them a dummy snap count, a hard count, how to utilize the pre-snap, get the information you want. It's extensive. Uh, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's huge. Uh, and then you got to recognize defenses. As you see in college football, a lot of these guys look to the sideline. The coach is holding up a board and they point to a picture, or they give some signals. Hey, the quarterback has to recognize uh, the front, the coverage, the matchup, and their recognition of these things is a long way off because they're underclassmen and because they're getting a lot of the information from the sidelines. So it starts there. Snap count, terminology, communication, recognition, and uh, I think if they can learn those things, they'll have an opportunity to go out there and execute because they – there are some strong arms and some athletic talents in this draft. Okay, we'll go to Jim in New Orleans, followed by Matt Lombardo at uh, NJ.com. John, do you think that uh, what Ezekiel Elliott did with Dallas this, uh, last season has any effect on the way NFL teams are looking at this year's crop of running backs, or is it going? To, is it making anything new? I think perhaps. I think a lot of uh, I think Ezekiel Elliott did a great job. I think a lot of people uh, also are looking at what Dallas has done with their offensive line. You know, they've got I think the best offensive line in the league, the best blocking tight end in the league, and that's a big reason why Zeke uh, was able to go in there as a rookie and and be as great as he was. I don't want to diminish his performance, but. Uh, if you have the offensive line and the blocking tight end and the components that allow you to run the football, uh, that too is being scrutinized by teams. But uh, Elliott's, I think, Pro Bowl campaign as a rookie uh, will certainly make people 
feel a little bit better about taking Fournette or McCaffrey or Cook or one of these backs in the first round, certainly. It can always help. Mel Kuyper won't agree. He won't agree. Kuyper doesn't think he should ever take a back in the first round. I can't wait to hear what he says this year. Okay, we'll get him uh, Matt Lombardo at NG.com, followed by Jimmy Durkin at the East Bay Times. Matt, are you there? No response for Matt. The next caller, please. Okay, we'll go to uh, Jimmy Durkin at the East Bay Times, followed by Brian Batko at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Yeah, hi, John. Just uh, you know when Mark Davis and the Raiders like you do, when, with Mark being pretty outspoken about his zero-tolerance policy against domestic violence, would you expect for them, a guy like Joe Mixon, to be on their board at all, or do you think they, when he, if he were to come up for them, it would be an immediate pass for them? You know, I hate to speak for anybody on, on, on a topic like that, but um, based on my history with the Raiders, uh, I, I would say that he would probably not be on their board. But I have not met uh, with Nixon. Uh, I do not know the exact nature of his case. Uh, but uh, based on my history with the Raiders, I would probably say with the knowledge I have, he would not be on their board. Okay, next we'll go to Brian in Pittsburgh, followed by Daryl Slater at the Newark Star-Ledger. Hey, John, you mentioned uh, quite a few things about Peterman. I was just wondering uh, what your thoughts are on if there's a particular franchise, uh, head coach, system, offensive coordinator that you think, uh, you know, he might fit best with, especially given, uh, you know, everything you had to say about him maybe being able to play right away. Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams in the league that, that he would play uh, for and fit well with. I, I really like uh, Andy Reid. I really like the Kansas City Chiefs offense. I think it it uh, fits him well. I think New Orleans, I think a lot of these teams, honestly, any, any team in the league, uh, you can cater your offense for Peterman. He's a lot more athletic than people think, and um, he can handle an extensive amount of football. So the teams that are really ambitious with deep, thick playbooks, those are the teams that Peterman would fit in with. And uh, I hope he gets with one of those guys that can really stretch him and challenge him. Okay, next is Daryl Slater in Newark, followed by Sammy Batten at the Fayetteville Observer. A response from Daryl. Next caller, please. Okay, uh, Sammy, are you there from Fayetteville? One moment. Thanks. Uh, you focus a lot on the intangibles and the mental makeups of the quarterbacks. Uh, how would you rate Mitch Trubisky in those areas? You know, he's uh, he's he's a fun guy to be around. I think he he showed really good retention. You know, what what's not on the show is all the plays that we install, all the things that we challenge them to learn and go out on the grass and execute. He's into it. The thing I liked about Trubisky is he is really into it. Uh, He's attentive. Uh, he's got uh, very good retention. He's a good communicator. Uh, I liked him on the field when he met all the different players that were contributing. There's NFL players down there that he's meeting for the first time. Uh, he responded very well. Uh, he's a likable guy. He's a young kid, but he has the intangibles, I'm sure, that have impressed everybody that he's met with. He's a team guy, too. I will say this about him. He's a team guy. What he went through at North Carolina uh, really impressed uh, not only the staff at Carolina, but a lot of the NFL people that I've talked to. He never quit. He was supportive of Marquise Williams. The first few years he was there, he waited his turn, and he was ready when called upon. Okay, we've got time for two last uh, questions. We'll go to Nate Atkins at M Live, followed by Josh Kendall at the State Newspaper in Columbia. Uh, Nate, go ahead. Yeah, John, I just want to know, uh, how do you rate uh, Hassan Reddick from Temple? What, what kind of impresses you the most about his game? Man, I like Reddick. You know, he reminds me, I saw somebody the other day, he reminds me of Hugh Green coming out of Pitt a long time ago. He was a uh, Hugh Green was an undersized defensive end that uh, 
played for my old Tampa Bay Buccaneers as an inside linebacker. This guy can run and smash you. And he, to me, at the senior pro bowl, really proved his versatility. Uh, he's had a lot of history playing a lot of different positions. But just get him on your team, tell him what to do, and he'll do it very well. He's a natural. He's a real hitter and uh, just a very, very natural football player. And you can use him creatively as a pass rusher. You can use him as an inside backer. Uh, God knows what he would do on special teams. He'd be a special teams demon. So I, I really like Reddick. And our final question will be uh, Josh Kendall at the state. Go ahead, Josh. Hey, John, thanks for your time. You mentioned Mike Williams from Clemson earlier. For, for you, what's the quality that he has that stands out the most that will serve him the best at the next level? And then, conversely, what's the thing that he needs to improve upon the most? Well, I think when you look at the Clemson receivers, starting with DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, Martavis Bryant, they have a history, a pipeline of producing down the field, vertical, go get it, 50-50 jump ball receivers. And they're committed to it at Clemson, and they're great at it. And that's why they are holding the trophy. Uh, Mike Williams is, um, excuse me, Williams is not playing 50-50. He's playing 80-20. When it's up in the air, he's probably getting it. He has great hang time. He has an incredible vertical leap. And just a, a real good playing strength. I just think he needs to get in a huddle and, and go in motion and line up in some different positions and run uh, a new route tree, some things maybe that he hasn't run before. Um, so I think that's that's the biggest challenge that he'll have. But um, he performed in critical moments in a big way. Uh, he's a showman, and uh, he's a guy that can really uh, be a force in those red zone 50-50, 80-20, whatever we're calling them now, jump ball situations. Great. We're right at uh, five minutes to noon uh, Eastern time. Just want to say thanks to John and the members of the media for joining us. Uh, apologies for the handful of folks we, we couldn't get to in the allotted time, but uh, hopefully we, we we did take a number of questions, so hopefully we helped you uh, in advance of draft. Um, thanks, John. Again, just a reminder that uh, he will be part of our day one coverage of the NFL draft uh, next Thursday. and. Uh, quarterback camp will be airing across the ESPN networks uh, through the draft next week. So thanks again, and this will conclude our media call.